the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, August the 9th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on August 9, 1945, three days after the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, or Hiroshima, Japan, a USB-29 superfortress named Boxcar dropped a nuclear device called Fat Man over Nagasaki killed an estimated 74,000 people. Within days, Japan, the imperial Japan, would surrender unconditionally to the United States. Today, in 1859, the escalator was patented, you know, the moving stairway. However, the first working escalator didn't appear until 1900. It was manufactured by the Otis Elevator Company for the Paris Exposition. After it was used there, it was moved to Philadelphia to an office building. Then retail that had more than one floor, retail stores got a hold of the idea and started putting it in retail stores. I remember the first escalator I ever saw it was in Yakima, Washington. And uh, I thought it was amazing. I mean, it was like amazing. I thought, how can they do this? Anyway, today in 1910, that was the first one I saw. No, it was not in 1900. Uh, today, in 1934, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed an executive order nationalizing silver. Today, in 1944, Smokey the Bear, or Smokey Bear, not the bear, that's that's uh, Yogi. Smokey Bear, you know, only you can prevent forest fires. He was created by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Today, in 1969, actor Sharon Tate and four other people were found brutally slain at Tate's Los Angeles home. Cult leader Charles Manson and a group of his followers were later convicted of the crime. I have mentioned this before on this program, probably a year ago when this happened on this date. But I I just want to mention it in passing. I didn't know uh, Charles Manson, but... When I was in the church in North Hollywood, I was we were very connected. We did a lot of things together with Hollywood Presbyterian Church, which wasn't all that far from our church. And um, we did a lot of things there. In fact, I spoke a couple of times as a guest speaker at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, a great, great church with a great history. Um, Henrietta Mears, who created Sunday School, as many of us knew it as kids growing up, uh, she was the education director of that in that church and so on. And much of what Sunday school became in America came out of that church. Anyway, they had a pretty dynamic youth group and youth ministry as we did. And so we would do stuff together. And I knew the youth pastor pretty well. And uh, Lloyd Ogilvy was the pastor back in the day. But um, this Charles Manson was in and out of their youth group. Uh, he was on LSD. He was on drugs. Uh, but the youth pastor knew him. I, I didn't, but I, I knew about him. And he was in and out of that youth group. And so ultimately, he self-destructed on drugs. He, When he murdered Sharon Tate and these other people in her 
Los Angeles. It was in actually in the Hollywood Hills um, area. When Charles Manson killed these people, he told the police initially that he was doing this on behalf of God because uh, Sharon Tate had been in a movie. I have not seen the movie, would not want to see it, but uh, was in a movie that had, to, it was Rosemary's Baby, and the the storyline had to do with this woman who became impregnated with Satan and was giving birth to this child that was part Satan. And um, it was kind of a parallel to the virgin birth of Christ. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, a horrible storyline. But anyway, he got a hold of that. And so he imagined in his perverted mind from drugs that he was, so he said, working for God when he killed her and the others. He was obviously on drugs. And he was like trying to defeat the devil. I mean, that's the backstory. There's more to it, but that's the essence of it. I often think when I see his name to this day, he was a very uh, powerful personality and he had a bunch of people in his cult and they were weird. I mean, doing weird stuff, I'll tell you. But you have to just give pause and maybe once you're a youth pastor, you never quite get over it. Uh, I, you know, it's been a few years since I was a youth pastor and yet I find sometimes in my life I'll see a situation and I'll think, Man, I wish I was a youth pastor again. I know that's not the top job, you know, the senior pastor is. And I've been that, but of course, for a number of years. But it just, I don't know, it, I have to think sometimes how much good that kid could have done had his life been directed toward the Lord and he would have been delivered from the drugs and set free of it. How powerful, because he was very... Uh, influencing type personality and most cult leaders are and he was and so I say that with a bit of sadness and I have to pause for a moment and think what could have been but it was a horrible horrible thing that happened and that's a little bit of the backstory that you would never read in the newspaper today in 1974 Vice President Gerald Ford he became the nation's 38th president President Richard Nixon his resignation took effect today, 1974. Today, in 1982, a federal judge in Washington ordered John W. Hinckley Jr., who'd been acquitted of shooting President Ronald Reagan and three others by reason of insanity, the judge ordered Hinckley to be committed to a mental hospital, which was probably where he needed to be. He needed help for sure. Psalm 27 begins with this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies, my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host shall encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing, one thing I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. 
everything that you see, hear, do in life as a believer in Jesus Christ, a born-again believer. You are living out your life on that promise and on the rock. The storms, the winds, the destructive forces in our world are many and sometimes overwhelming. But you and I are on the rock. The rock will not be moved by the circumstances of our world. And God is in control of those circumstances. We have to look at what's happening in our world through that lens each day. We must be informed, but we must not be overridden with anxiety and fear. Because God is above it all. He's before it all. He's after it all. He is eternally God Almighty. And God is in control. Well, (laughs) Como News is reporting this morning that Governor Inslee is expected to announce vaccine mandate for all state employees. Maybe today, sometime this week. Anyway, Como News says he's going to make that announcement. It's coming soon. Mandates at the local level need to be done. Dr. Anthony Fauci, he told NBC's Meet the Press yesterday, he said, you're going to see the empowerment of local enterprises giving mandates. He said that could be colleges, universities, places of business, whole variety. I strongly support that, he said. On Friday, he had said the same thing, basically, well, a little stronger on Friday. But he said, you're going to see businesses and schools all across the country who will issue a flood of vaccine mandates. Organizations, enterprises, universities, Dr. Fauci on Friday. He told USA Today, colleges that have been reluctant to mandate at the local level will feel much more confident now. He said they can say, if you want to come to college or to this university, you've got to get vaccinated. He said, if you want to work in this plant, if you want to, you've got to get vaccinated. If you want to work in this enterprise, you've got to get vaccinated. If you want to work in this hospital, you've got to get vaccinated. Big push to vaccinate people. I'm not suggesting one way or the other on the vaccination because I know people are divided on that for personal reasons. But I will tell you, it makes me nervous when the government starts telling you, you will do this, you will do that, and it involves these kinds of things. I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't think that's the government's decision. I think that's the individual decision. But that's what's happening before our very eyes. And Joe Biden is standing in the shadows, as he often does, and he's not really cognitively able to do a lot more sometimes. But as he stands back, and this is playing out the way he wants it to, and he's not having to have the credit for doing it. It's working marvelously for him at the moment. The problem with that is, is that, (laughs) boy, reports are coming out on this border. I, I mentioned it from time to time because it's a big deal. But the press is acting like there is no border because there essentially isn't on our southern border. There's a leaked presidential briefing document that was reported yesterday by NBC News. I was surprised they even said this on their air, but they did. It reveals this document. It's going to be given to President Joe Biden this week as part of his briefing, but uh, somehow NBC got a hold of it and they reported it. 
it's it reveals that now you may remember I I mentioned last week there that 15 percent on average of those that are coming illegally across the board and they are illegal and I know there's a movement out there say nobody's illegal well they are illegal when they come into this country and they're breaking the our laws because our laws are still in effect immigration laws although not not so not supported or acted on but I mentioned that the average was 15 percent, and it was. But now this document that the president is going to be seeing this week, it reveals that 20 percent, it's risen 5 percent, 20 percent of all unaccompanied migrant children who illegally cross the border are testing positive for COVID-19. They are being released into the country. And if the news media mentions this, they go through a little kind of a dance where they say, well, they, they're handed over from the border, um, border patrol into the hands of ICE, and they're, then they're put under the custody of others and blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is they're brought in, they're handed off a couple of times. Catholic Charities is very complicit in this. Uh, they're doing what they ought not to be doing. They're, ju- they're making billions of dollars, l- literally, each year off these contracts, and they're putting these kids into communities and for the most part, we don't even know where these kids are. And for the most part, they're not with family or parents. Some are. Most are not. Because I've been following this very closely. But NBC reported that in this briefing that Biden's going to get this week, that Border Patrol agents apprehended a little over 200,000 migrants in July. That's what they apprehended. Border Patrol experts are saying there is at least that many escaping into the country that are not part of the apprehended data, the totals. So if it's 400,000 people in one month coming into this country, 20% of them are infected with COVID. I'm telling you this because we constantly hear the drumbeat. Every time the media mentions COVID, they pivot to take on Ron DeSantis, who is a Republican, a very strong Republican leader, is the governor of Florida, and the governor of Texas, who is also a Republican, a conservative. And they always pivot to that. I don't know that, and I'm not in defense of, of the governor. I mean, they don't need my defense. But I don't know that it's the governor's fault so much as it is the policies of this current president who really isn't up for the job because the policies are, are putting by their figures as many as 400,000 people undocumented really into America. That was July and 20% of them are COVID positive. I mean, you and I may not be as smart as the bureaucrats who, you know, tell us when we ask questions, well, you don't understand, it's complicated. Well, maybe we do understand, and we don't like it. And I think there's a rising tide of concern in America, unlike we've seen in a number of years. And I think we might see that. I hope we do. I pray we do. But I think we might see that in this midterm election next year, and certainly in the 2024 election. I know it's a long way off. But we'll see what happens. But I'll tell you, people are becoming aware of this, and we should be aware of it. We should be informed. 
and they're beginning to push back on a lot of fronts. And I'm not just talking about Republicans who go to church and wear a red hat. I'm talking about I'm talking about people across the across the spectrum in America. Democrats are starting to call out some of these policies or lack thereof uh, with some pretty loud voices. Even even the Washington Post and the New York Times are beginning to sort of mention, oh, by the way, do you think we should fix some of these things? They're never going to take a position in opposition to the president. At least I don't see that in the near future, but at least they are starting to point out some of the things that should be happening that are not happening. Interesting interesting story that's evolving. It has to do with the mother in Rhode Island, but it really relates to all of us who care about kids, our own kids or our own grandchildren, or just kids we know in the community. It has to do with education. I want to talk to you a little bit about, in kind of a follow-up way to the NEA, I talked about they had their national convention here last month, and I talked about it at the time. It was horrifying to see what they were planning to do, and doing so publicly. It was with no restraint. They were telling the nation, they're going to do this and do that, and they're going to teach our children this or that, and you better stay out of the way. And they allocated a bunch of money so they could fight people who resist what they're doing in public education. It was all documented, what I said. We got a lot of response to that. People were going, oh, my goodness, had no idea or whatever, but we need to have an idea. Well, just that was last month, this powerful National Education Association, the NEA, the union promised at their convention to fight tooth and nail against, quote, laws that ban concepts Republicans say are divisive and discriminatory. That's the way they they put it in their resolution. But apparently education couldn't wait for the schoolhouse doors to open to young minds. They filed their first lawsuit. They're following through. They're already doing what they said they were going to do last month in their convention, but they didn't wait for school to open to fight against the media. They're taking on a single parent. They filed a lawsuit against her. Last month, last month, they voted to embrace critical race theory, but the promotion of it on their website soon disappeared because they got so much public pushback. But I will tell you, because you can't find the term critical race theory on their website, it's in their heart and their deeds, for sure. They have not. They have not changed their agenda. Becky Pringle is the president of NEA, and Randy Weingarten is the president of the equally powerful American Federation of Teachers, AFT. They're both publicly promoting CRT, and they've indicated that they will defend it, and they will defend the teachers who teach it. It doesn't matter what the parents say. The NEA, as I said, has approved thousands of dollars to fight back against, these are their words, conservative groups that portray teachers as spreading racist indoctrination under the guise of critical race theory. That's a term that they say was born from legal scholarship decades ago, and it's a term we shouldn't even be using. They started saying that when the public began to push back and say, wait a minute. You're not going to teach my child that. And I'm talking about Republicans, Democrats, whatever, just parents who care about their children who have been absentee parents for the most part, not going to school board meetings or anything else. 
So when the pushback came, they dropped the name. They took it off their website, this CRT, because it's become very toxic. I mean, when people find out what it's about, and that's why I've taken time on this program to talk about it. When people find out what it's about, they say, you're not teaching my kid that. And again, this isn't about Democrats and Republicans. It's just about parents who love their kids. And maybe they haven't been involved as they should have been. And in most cases, they haven't been. But they do love their kids. And they don't want any part of it. So all of a sudden, these guys have pivoted. They always do this. The left always do this. Progressives always do this. Because they're not progressive. They're regressive. And they don't have any guiding light. It's just whatever. Truth is what I say it is. Every Whatever the end goal is, socialism, communism, I mean, whatever they're thinking, they want to bring on America. The end, their end, always justifies their means. So it doesn't matter what they do as long as they feel it moves them toward this end goal, this purpose of life. Joe and Jill Biden were at that convention last month. They were cheering them on. I wrote an article today about some of this that I'm talking about. I included the the video in there of them uh, from YouTube. They're talking about how great this is and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the activist NEA also approved money to research the organizations that were attacking educators for doing anti-race work. In other words, we'll do background checks and we'll try to get dirt on everybody who tries to resist what we're going to do to your children. That's what they were saying. Heritage Foundation immediately responded uh, to their statements. They put out a statement that was quoted often. Racial academic discipline that compels students to act on the Marxist idea that the world is divided between victimizers and their victims. That's how they described what these people were doing. But there's a mother, mother in Rhode Island, who had simply been asking the question. They were not, the union is not only prepared to defend itself from lawsuits and against people who are trying to stop this, in the classroom once it starts. But this mother, Nicole Solis, a Rhode Island mom whose daughter is going to be in kindergarten and she's all over it. She wants to know what her daughter is going to be taught. She had been asking all summer long, what it, could I see the curriculum that my daughter is going to be taught in king, kindergarten in public school? They kept kind of just, you know, ignoring her and pushing it aside. Well, it's not available. And yeah, we'll get to you when we have it available and so on. So she kept, she kept asking. Well, now the NEA has filed a complaint in Rhode Island Superior Court to prohibit the disclosure of the requested records and protect teachers' privacy rights when it comes to records that Solis was requesting to access. That's their words when they filed this lawsuit on this last Friday. So what's happening is that they are trying to declare that the curriculum itself is off-limits under the privacy rights clause of this, you know, her pursuit to get freedom of information. I mean, it's an amazing story. The mom tweeted last Thursday. She said, the day, today the teacher union filed another lawsuit against me, this time a temporary restraining order, preliminary injunction. Local NBC affiliate there is reporting that NEA believes, I'm quoting uh, their NBC affiliate in Rhode Island there, believes many of these documents are not public records as defined under the APRA and under and fall under APR's exclusion, but that's not, they don't. I, I'm not a lawyer, but I've, I know how to read. 
The NEA has filed this restraining order against a mom because she's asking too many questions about the material. And what they're doing is hoping that the, the court will say, yeah, you know, education is so important to our children and to our country that we're going to do a carve out on this. And we're going to say, yeah, normally uh, this certainly would be available. But under these circumstances, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to manipulate the court to rule in their favor because they don't have a solid case in not giving a parent the curriculum that a parent is asking for that's going to be taught to her child in this case. It's the same rationale that leads public government run schools to usurp parental authority on many, many issues. A few years ago, a high school in Ballard in Seattle area, they not only advised a young girl without parental knowledge, but they assisted her in going to an abortion clinic. And it got into the news. But this happens often and we don't hear about it. I mean, they're always attacking parental authority because they know better than we do what our children should become and what they should learn. So Solis believes the litigation is collusive litigation where the school and the union set up a lawsuit behind closed doors, each agreeing to play plaintiff and defendant. She says, the school is more than happy to agree not to fulfill my record requests in court and let this play out. It's a horrible thing. The Goldwater Institute is representing her, and uh, the school the school board immediately stonewalled her when she started asking. And <clears throat> during a June board meeting, this Emily Kaminsky is the committee's chairwoman. She claimed that Solis requests, and she said it publicly to television. She said she's working to spread chaos and confusion and dismantle anti-racism education, and she's trying to hurt our school district. That's what you can expect if you disagree with government-run schools. That's why I have become very, very um, removed from any support of public education. I don't support it. I know there are some good teachers out there. And I didn't have this position a number of years ago because they weren't as intrusive then. But over over my lifetime, I've seen this happen, and it is frightening, except that we're on the rock of God. We're solid. But this stay-at-home mom says we have to know what our kids are learning in school because we're the only ones that are going to stand up for them. And after she was on Tucker Carlson's program, she was just inundated with hate mail and stuff from people saying she's trying to hurt public education while public education is cannibalizing itself through these kinds of situations. Jenny White is a homeschooling mom, five kids, highly educated. She has a master's in biology, has had careers in advertising, biology, epidemiology, and teaching. Her articles are widely read. I wrote an article about what I've just been talking about today on faithandfreedom.us. I included a link to an article she wrote uh, not long ago that it's titled Five Ways Parents Are Responsible for Public Education's Failures. I would suggest you read it if you have a child or a grandchild. It's very, uh, it's to the point. It's very well written. She's very well informed. And um, I think it would be very helpful to you or maybe someone in your family. <clears throat> but you might want to read that. It's, it's, it's good. It's not that long, but it's really good. 
faithandfreedom.us. And thank you for your support. We need it to meet our budget. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. If you haven't supported us but feel like you'd like to, this is the time to start. I'll see you tomorrow.